Hi, this is David Flower, senior pastor at Grantham Church, an intergenerational convergent third-way congregation with the Brethren in Christ U.S., and located in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast and for following the sermons that I and many others preach at Grantham. This is a free podcast, and it'll always be that way, but if you'd like to give and help further the work we're doing for the kingdom, we'd greatly appreciate it. If you want to do that, you can do that by going to granthamchurch.org and clicking on the Giving tab. Whether you're a member of our church or you're listening as a parishioner, it's our greatest desire that you would encounter Jesus and be changed by the good news wherever you are. Anyway, God bless you, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. If you are visiting with us, my name is David Flowers. I'm the senior pastor here at Grantham. You have your Bible this morning. Have that ready. We're going to open that up in just a moment. The peace of God for the people of God. That's the title of the message this morning. You would grab your Bible and open up to the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 4. It's in the New Testament. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, chapter 4. Still great to hear the pages turn, you know? It's not just this. (laughs) It's, It's okay if you use that, it's fine. I just like to hear the pages turn. Philippians chapter 4, I'm going to read verses 4 through 9. Reading from the New International Version. You can follow along in whatever version you have. Paul writes this, Rejoice in the Lord always, I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This past week, I did a quick search on the internet. I just put in anxiety in America. (laughs) Here's what I found. Nearly 50 million Americans are living with a serious mental disorder today. Anxiety disorders are the most common, 50 million. These numbers have risen dramatically in the past two years with no signs of slowing down. Recent statistical reporting is showing record levels of stress and anxiety due to the pandemic, inflation, shipping delays, gun violence, the war in Ukraine, January 6th hearing, Supreme Court decisions, 
ongoing culture wars, for Christians, the acceleration of secularism, and then there are rapid changes to societal norms, technology, climate change, increasing political polarization, global uncertainty, and the list goes on and on. If you weren't stressed already, you are now, right? (laughs) But I'm not here to stress us out this morning. In fact, I sense the Holy Spirit leading me in this message for for today uh, to remind us of God's peace the power of God's peace. Paul said that transcends all understanding, or maybe you memorized that verse, as surpasses all understanding. This is the peace of God which is available to us this morning. Jesus in John chapter 14, verse 27, said these words to his disciples. He said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. And think about the context of this passage when Jesus said this. He had already told his disciples that he would be leaving, going away. Well, they didn't fully understand this, like to where he was going. But they did get the fact that he was not going to remain with them. And that was unnerving. As Jesus also talked about the things to come, the signs of the end times and so forth, and Jesus says he gives them peace. Peace while he's away. You know, I think it's, it's fair to say that most folks want peace today. Most folks, right? Yes, even your enemies. Most of those folks, they want peace. Lots of folks want peace, but unfortunately, it's on their own terms. And if, you, if you're honest, we all kind of do this. I'll be at peace when I get my way. Right? But, but a lot of people are like that. I, I mean, even people we look at and say are dictators or, 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 or evil, maybe, they want peace to just, just in their way. You know, like the evil emperor in Star Wars. Remember when he said, once more the Sith will rule the galaxy and we shall have peace. Clearly, how we seek to achieve peace, it varies, doesn't it? And some people are seeking peace through money. I don't have enough, but if I have enough, I'll be at peace. And some of it's through materialism and and, and accumulation of stuff. And if I have more stuff than someone else, I'll feel better about myself, I'll be at peace. And some people are, are seeking peace and comfort through sex, through status or through achieving and accumulating power or like the emperor through force lightning trying to achieve peace well we 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 can see that 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 doesn't really get us there does it this is why jesus said my peace i leave with you my peace i give you but i don't give to you as the world gives you you can't achieve peace by the avenues of the world, or anything in the world, but only through Christ. You see, Jesus' peace comes to us and is made known on the earth much differently. It doesn't come by giving in to the flesh, by always getting what we want, or acting out of hate and anger, or using force, even violence, to get at peace. It does not and will not ever come by 
living out of our amygdala, right? The fight or flight center of our brain. No, it doesn't come through fear. Remember what the Bible says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. Where God's love is, there is no fear. Look at that. Where God's love is, there is no fear because God's perfect love drives out fear. And so we want to know the God who is love and experience this love that drives out fear and enables us to access God's peace. Now think about it. If you're feeling anxious this morning, if you're feeling fearful, what you're lacking, yes, is God's peace, but first, a knowledge of God's perfect love. This is why we we say it's so important, right? Your portrait of God, what you think about. And what, what enters into your head when you think about God is the most important thing about you. It, it will make the difference to whether or not you seek the Lord or run from the Lord, right? Like Adam and Eve in the garden, hiding. Why? Because they believe the lie about God. They believe the lie about themselves. And so God comes walking in the garden, right? He says, where are you? God knew where they were. The question is for us. Why do you run away from me? You've not seen me rightly. I I hear Jesus saying that. When we see God rightly, we understand that it's through his love and a knowledge of his love we can access his peace. I know we live in a complex, complicated world, but it really is that simple. It's this peace that God wants to give us this morning, brothers and sisters, not only for our own health and flourishing, but also so we might be makers and givers of his peace in the world. It's one way that we're to be salt and light in the world. Jesus told us this in Matthew chapter five. And he told us to be peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. And so as we consider where we are as followers of Jesus today, living truly in an American empire, right? right? A, a, a modern day Babylon, to use biblical language, or a modern day Rome, I believe that we can find words of challenge and of comfort to us through Paul's letter to the Philippians. When the last time you read the book of Philippians, but this fourth weekend might be a good time to do that. It's a very political book, as you'll see why this morning. Because Philippi was a, a Roman colony in ancient Macedonia, which had about 10,000 people. It was largely inhabited by retired Roman soldiers and other Roman nationalists. Now, I want you to keep that in mind as you read through the short book of Philippians, only four chapters. It's largely inhabited by Roman soldiers, retired Roman soldiers, and other Roman nationalists. And there are about 35 pagan deities that are worshiped there in Philippi, including the cult of the divine Augustus. You remember Caesar Augustus. He was emperor when Jesus was born. And so they declared Caesar Augustus divine. Even after his death, they are worshiping him here in the colony of Philippi. Paul had been to Philippi before. Some of you recall this in Acts chapter 16. You could flip over there and look at that where Paul with Silas goes to Philippi And Philippi, being a very Roman nationalist sort of colony there, they didn't have enough Jews to have a synagogue. That was 
typically the practice of Paul, uh, when he would go on his missionary journeys, he would go to the synagogue first. If it had a synagogue, Philippi didn't. So that will tell you a little bit about the pagan nature of this city. So he goes to the river where he meets someone named Lydia, a woman who worked in purple cloth. You remember this story? And who is worshiping Yahweh there and he shares the gospel, they receive the gospel and the first church in Europe is planted through Lydia and this small group uh, of believers. We also read in Acts 16 where there's a slave girl, so Paul's gonna get himself into trouble because there's a slave girl that is like telling fortunes. It seems that she uh, is demonically possessed or something like this, and she has owners, right, because she's a slave, and so they're making lots of money off of her and her fortune telling. And she starts to give Paul and Silas a really hard time calling them out. I think the enemy, the devil through her, calling them out and identifying them as followers of Jesus. And Paul has enough. He turns around and casts this demon out of her. And uh, needless to say, this, the, the, her masters aren't making money anymore. They get angry and upset. They don't even ask if they're citizens of Rome, which Paul was. And they beat them and they throw them in prison. And, and you remember this is where they're singing and the earthquake comes. You remember this story? Sunday school, yeah. And so Paul and Silas aren't treated very well there. So you think about the gospel, the preaching of the good news of Jesus and the ramifications of that in Philippi as it clashed with imperial loyalties and with the nationalism of Rome there in Philippi. So Paul was aware of the political nature in the city, which shows up in his letter. Even though you may not be able to read Greek, we can see it in English, right? It's politically subversive language, shows up in words like Christ, right? Messiah, Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ, uh, which of course was a political term. Uh, savior, which was a term used to refer to the emperor. Gospel, good news, euangelion's the word in Greek, which is also something Caesar said that he gives the empire, is referred to Jesus. Civic life, the word is polytuiste, let your civic life be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Paul's gonna say in chapter one, verse 27. And then he says that our true citizenship, chapter three, verse 20, is in heaven. So you can hear this political language coming through this letter which says something about the pastoral concerns that Paul has to the people he's writing to in Philippi. Their faith clashed with the nationalism there of Rome. He even says that Jesus is Lord. That would have been a phrase they were familiar with, except it was Caesar is Lord. Paul says Jesus is Lord, and to the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so Paul will say a few things also about the peace, which we read earlier, the peace of God, which I think is in juxtaposition to the Pax Romana, which was the peace of Rome. So Caesar not only proclaimed himself divine, not only said that he is Soter, Savior, that he is Lord, that he has a good news that everyone should embrace, but also that says that he should bring peace. And so for Paul to use this language about Jesus and about the gospel and to say something about God's peace, we see we have now a rival king, a rival good news, a rival holy nation 
that we are to follow and to believe. So the Philippian church is a healthy congregation. Contrary to what we saw in the Christ the Sinner series where we saw the, the Christians in Galatia and the Christians in Corinth, Philippi is actually a pretty healthy church. They had recently gave a, a financial gift to help Paul when he was in prison, likely in the city of Ephesus where he was writing from, but they are facing hardships. Imagine that, they're experiencing anxiety because of their faith in Jesus which is, is in contrast to the ways of the world, who they said, again, is a rival king with a rival kingdom. Therefore, the Roman nationalists in Philippi are hostile toward them. It's clear, right? When you read a, a letter of the New Testament, we're only hearing one side of the phone conversation. But you can imagine what they're saying and what they're experiencing on the other side based on what Paul tells them. So Paul writes first, you'll see in the first chapter, that he writes to thank them for their financial gift, that it is an expression of their discipleship, right? They're giving financially, an expression of their faith. He writes to tell them this and then encourage them as he's writing to persevere in following the example of Jesus. Here's some specific ways that Paul encourages them and maybe it will encourage you this morning. He wants them to know the peace of God in Christ. Here are a few things that Paul says. He tells them to adopt the mind of Jesus in all situations that you encounter in life. Now, you know, we've, we've heard it said, and it's a bit cliche, but what would Jesus do? I sometimes like to offer up a correction to that and say, what did Jesus do? Rather than kind of like, mm, we don't really know. It's like, well, we have the Gospels and we can see how Jesus responded in lots of situations. What did Jesus do? How did he live in the world? And Paul says, adopt the mindset of Christ. Have the same mind of Jesus in the way in which you live within the world. Encourage you to do that as you face challenges and anxieties and all of the things going on in our world today. Uh, do you have the mind of Jesus about it? Are you thinking Jesusly about these matters? Secondly, Paul tells them to live into Jesus' story of service, of suffering, of sacrifice, and success. Philippians 2, a really well-known chapter, it's called the Christ Hymn or the Christ Poem. Paul is going to say, based on this example of Jesus, that he humbled himself, that he took up the position of a servant, of a slave, he was willing to suffer and die, and because of that, God exalted him to the highest place, right? Every knee would bow, every tongue would confess. Paul is using this Christ hymn, which would have been familiar, it seems, in the early church, to say, follow this example of Jesus. See your own story in the story of Jesus. Think about that. What would that look like for you to see your own story in the story of Jesus? And C.S. Lewis said that we, we are little Christs. Uh, one person said, that what, what is discipleship? It is what uh, it would look like if Jesus were you. That's what it means to be a disciple. What would it look like if Jesus were you? I think that's what Paul is getting at, to live into Jesus' story of ser service, suffering, sacrifice, and success. And of course, success in the kingdom looks much different than the success of the world. And let me remind you, Paul is writing from prison. I saw a meme this morning from someone in the church here that, that said, all of my heroes uh, were, are ex-convicts or something. You know, it's like, and he lists all these people in the Bible, uh, like Jeremiah and Paul and so many others who, who, who went to jail for their faith 
in Jesus. Also, Paul says, continue to fellowship with all those on gospel mission. Now, we think of fellowship, we think that means, yeah, hang around and have coffee with somebody. No, in the New Testament, koinonia means to partner together in the work. And, and Paul has already commended them for how they have partnered together in the work of the gospel, even sacrificing financially. And Paul says, remember to do this. Continue to do it. What a great thing that you've done. Continue to do that as you join together with others on gospel mission. And Paul also says, while living among those who are loyal to the way of empire, remember your true citizen, citizenship is in heaven and your allegiance is to the way of King Jesus. Again, he says that in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. Your true citizenship is in heaven, not of this earth. Paul also says, be sure that your moral reasoning and your political life is shaped by the gospel, not the other way around. He says, despite your hardships, maintain your public witness as you follow Christ. Don't give in right, to the spirit of the age and just go along with the crowd and what everybody else is saying and what everybody else is doing. Compare what you see and what you hear in the world and what's championed as virtues and compare it to Christ and the gospel. Does it line up? Does it match? Because at times we know that our faith will clash with the world. And lastly, Paul wants to encourage them. He says, if you're anxious, pray. Pray and petition God. That means ask God. Make your request known to God. Be thankful for the grace of God in your life. Fill your mind with good things. Don't dwell on the evil in the world. Let's hear Paul again in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 9. This time I'm going to read it from Eugene Peterson's uh, translation, The Message. It's a contemporary uh, paraphrase. He says, don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Now, wouldn't that be great if we could condition ourselves when we start to feel anxious, start to worry, as we're doom scrolling, we would rather stop and pray. Don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers. Letting God know your concerns. You see, Paul knows that we will worry, but we must be intentional. This is what I think he's trying to say. Be intentional with your thoughts. He'll tell the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, take your thoughts captive. Don't let your thoughts rule you. You have power over them. That's what the, the power of the kingdom gives us, the power to demolish strongholds that set itself up in our mind, especially that of anxiety and of worry. And verse seven, before you know it, right? If you do this, before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good will come and settle you down. Isn't that wonderful? God's peace. That's actually what Eugene Peterson, I think, is trying to get at there, a sense of God's wholeness. That's what the idea of shalom means. It's a Hebrew word for peace, shalom. It, it comes with this understanding and this idea of a, a complete or whole stone with no cracks, shalom. Or maybe a wall with no gaps, shalom. Right, the core idea here is life is complex. It's full of moving parts, lots of relationships, sometimes broken. So there, there, there may be many misalignments that lead to a lack of shalom and peace. And Paul is calling us to find wholeness, to find peace, to find shalom in God. Everything in God will come together for good. 
You know, he said that in, in Ephesians as well. God works all things together for good for those who love him and what? Are called according to his purposes. He says it's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. Then in verse eight, summing it all up, friends, I'd say you'll do best by filling your minds and meditating on things that are true, things that are noble, reputable, authentic, compelling, gracious, the best, not the worst, the beautiful, not the ugly, things to praise, not things to curse. And you'd be thinking, well, what am I just supposed to bury my head in the sand and not pay attention to the hurts and the pains and suffering of the world? No, that's not what Paul is saying. He's saying, do not dwell on it. Do not, you, folks, you're not helping anybody when you do that. You may think I can't turn it off or I wouldn't care. No, you're not God. You're not God. I remember there was one, there's been lots of different versions of Superman. Uh, the Superman movies. I remember this one version where Superman flies up above the earth and he's just, he's kind of just floating there and his cape's blowing in the wind in space. Some of you will get that later. But he's, he's just floating up there and he's hearing all of the people cry out, right? Right, it, it really is a picture of God, I think, but it's only God who can do that, not you. I mean, when we, when we try to take on the power of God, we turn out like Bruce Almighty. Go watch that movie, you'll see. It's not good. <laughs> and we end up just say yes to all, check. <laughs> you know, all yes to all the prayers. Only God can do that. Only God can hear all the cries in the midst of all the evil in the world. Why don't you just say that this morning? I think that would be very therapeutic and edifying. Just say it, I am not God. Say that, I am not God. So stop trying to take on all the burdens of the world. Stop absorbing all of the evil. Deal with what is right in front of you, what you can do something about. Sure, pray for what's going on in the around the world. Give if you can give. Contribute if God's calling you to contribute. And then leave it with God. So again, Paul's not saying, turn it off, bury your head in the sand. He's saying, don't meditate on those things which are evil. Instead, things that are true, things that are noble, not the worst. The beautiful, not the ugly. Things to praise, not things to curse. Put into practice, look at verse nine. Put into practice what you've learned from me. Now put yourself in the shoes of the Philippians. What have they learned from Paul? Folks, he's writing from prison, telling you not to worry, be happy. Paul said it first. He says, learn from me, put it into practice. Later on in Philippians, he will say, I have learned to be content in every situation. Whether I'm in need, whether I have plenty, I've learned simply be content. Folks, that is the peace of God. Do that, he says, and God who makes everything work together will work you into his most excellent harmonies. I love that. This is good. Okay, so you may be thinking, all right, I get it. We're supposed to be at peace. <laughs> God wants me to know his peace, the peace that Jesus gives and the way that Jesus gives it. And Pastor David, I hear Paul saying, we need to get control of our thoughts, but how do I do that? How can I access God's peace this way? Can you give me some practical steps or ideas? Well, thanks for asking. Yes, I can. I'm gonna do that now. 
I'm glad you asked. Here's, here's some steps that we can take. And, and folks, this isn't mind-blowing stuff. A lot of this is just reminders, but I think that we need to hear it. The first thing that we can do, right, how we can access God's peace, protect our minds, and fill our hearts with his love is pray when you're feeling anxious, fearful, and stressed. Pray. Right? Convert the, the, the worrisome thoughts into prayer. And don't feel guilty and bad when you realize after 15 or 20 minutes you've just been playing those tapes over and over. It's like, why didn't I pray sooner? Don't worry about it. Just pray now. God's love and God's grace is there for us in, in plentiful supply. Number two, read or listen to the scripture regularly and memorize Bible verses. And what does this do? You say, well, I expect the pastor to say this sort of thing. Well, what this does is it gives us something to focus our mind on, the words of God. Instead of focusing on other things, right, that, that bring about anxiety, that bring about worry, that bring about fear, that make us anxious, instead focus on the words of God. And, and sometimes you, it would do well to memorize verses for certain situations. Try that. If you don't have a Bible, you can take one of our pew Bibles. They're, they're here for you if you need that. Or you can get a Bible on your phone. Or you can get one of these devotional apps that we're always talking about. Pray as you go. Or, or Lectio 365. <laughs> don't leave out the five days. <laughs> Ways of filling our hearts and our minds right, with good things, with a word from the Lord. Also, listen or make music that uplifts and aims your heart at Christ. We've got lots of musicians in this church, so that's why I put make music in there. And if you're not really a musician, you can still make music, right? Some, someone will appreciate it. Your five-year-old will appreciate it, maybe. You know, music is powerful, folks. I was thinking about how King Saul, you remember that in the Old Testament, is losing his mind because of his anxiety and because of his fear, and he calls in the shepherd boy David to play music, and it brings him calm. Music is powerful, folks. And there's a reason why we see music uh, in heaven in Revelation 4 and 5 and all the people around the throne singing praises to God. Music is of God, and music can lead us into God's presence and to access God's peace. But choose wisely, because not all music does that. I think you know this. Just need to remind you. Number four, eat healthy. Exercise every now and then. And take care of your body because it houses your soul. And the reason I put it that way is because sometimes we live in this sort of Gnostic reality where we think the soul and the spirit has nothing to do with the body. But folks, God created us as spirit, soul, and body, and he created us to function together in perfect harmony and unison is if you're not taking care of your body, then guess what's going to happen to your mind? And so it's important that we take care of ourselves. Paul will tell the Corinthians that our, our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. Think about what you put in it. Think about how you treat it and how it impacts your soul. There's something else you can do. Do something artistic. Do something playful, something enjoyable, something life-giving, and practice Sabbath rest. God didn't make man for the Sabbath, Jesus, Jesus said, but Sabbath for mankind, right? He made it for us. Take advantage of it. The world will still be there tomorrow. You can rest. Again, say it, I am not God. Say it with me, I am not God, right? So do something fun. Do something playful. Do something artistic. 
Learn to rest. Number six, set boundaries. I, I take this seriously, folks. Set boundaries. Regulate your use of technology and media. You know what I'm talking about, right? That smartphone, your TV, all of your screens. Think about it, sometimes these things are overwhelming us with so much information. We get information, so much information in one day than most people got in a lifetime in the history of humanity. So regulate it, set boundaries. And for some of us, we might wanna get rid of it. Then lastly, number seven, how we can access God's peace, protect our minds and fill our hearts with his love. Use discernment and what you choose to watch, hear, and meditate on. And it really is true. Our, our minds and our hearts should turn to the scriptures, should turn to the reality that God has set in Christ as we're reminded that he is sovereign, that we remind, we're reminded that he loves us, and that we're reminded of that every day before we pick up our phone and look at the news. These are simple things. We all know this. Again, nothing mind-blowing. But what is the Spirit speaking to you about with these matters? Is, is there one of these things that the Lord is saying to you, you can access my peace if you'll start doing this? Brothers and sisters, we can do it. Listen to me. Through, through the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, we can win over worry. Jesus wants it. He wants it for us. You know, we can experience God's peace no matter our circumstances. It truly is a matter of our lenses and where our gaze is. You remember the story when Peter is, is called out on the water. Jesus walks on the water and Peter gets out of the boat. And he's walking for a while. He's doing great because his eyes are on Jesus. And then what does he do? He starts to focus on the storm. He starts to look at the wind and the waves and he becomes afraid, and what happens? He begins to sink. This is a message for us. Turn your, A's, your gaze upward toward Jesus. Right, Paul would say to the, to the Colossians, he said, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Because it's when we set our mind on earthly things, it's when we turn to the water, to the wind, to the waves, that we begin to freak out. But God doesn't want us to live that way. God wants us to have faith. Don't freak out, have faith. Don't fear, have faith. And keep your eyes on Jesus, amen. Again, it's a matter of our lenses, how we see the world, where we, where we place our gaze, our willingness to discover and express the fruit of peace in our lives is growing disciples. Let us do that and do what is within our own power and then trust God with that which is beyond our control. And maybe we just say that sometimes, right? I can't do anything about this. Only you can, God. So take it. It is yours. Only then can we know the peace of God that transcends all understanding and show others the way of real peace in the world. It doesn't come by operating out of the amygdala, out of fight or flight. It comes by operating out of faith in the one who created you, is redeeming you, and will one day renew all things. All we must do is trust. Finally, listen to what Paul says toward the end of his letter to the Philippians 
A passage that I know will be familiar to many of you, but listen to it in the context of what Paul is saying here in chapter, chapter four. Paul said, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Again, he's writing from prison. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. And you may have learned it this way. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Notice, Paul's contentment reveals a deep level of peace that is available to all of us. And also notice the all things or all this that Paul is referring to is our ability to do the things that God has called us to do no matter the situation and circumstance. It is only through Christ that we can be who he has called us to be and overcome life's hardships, come what may. So like the Apostle Paul, brothers and sisters, may we believe Believe this truth so that we might be comforted and encouraged until Christ comes again to set, establish his kingdom forever, to right the wrongs, to heal what is broken, and to make all things new. Amen. To help us reflect and respond to what the Spirit is saying to us through the message this morning, here's some, some guiding questions. And I'm gonna give you some time to think about this, especially as we prepare our hearts and our minds to receive communion. Number one, where are you lacking the peace of God in your life? What's the first thing that comes into your mind? Where are you lacking peace? How are you feeling anxious, stressed, and fearful? Just let that come into your mind and acknowledge that right before the Lord this morning. You might even write it down. That was probably an easy question. Here's the second one. Instead of dwelling on the trouble in your heart and your mind and in the world today, how can you be intentional in giving your worries and your fears to God? Think back to those seven things. What are, what are some things that maybe God is calling you today to, to, to do today? You say, if I, if I begin to regulate some of the technology in the media, if I begin to say to myself, I am not God. I don't need to know about every event that's happening in the world like I can do anything about it. What is it that God is saying that you need to do to practice and access God's peace in your life? Just one thing, just choose one thing. What is it? And lastly, number three, how then is the Spirit inviting you to access God's peace, protect your mind, and fill your heart and mind with his love? Father, we so desperately need your peace today. Jesus, you you promised us your peace. Help us, Lord, to cooperate with you in accessing that peace. 
just small things, Lord. Show us how to do the small things as you promised to do the big things through us by faith. Lord Jesus, I, I know that there are folks here this morning that are focusing on the wind and the waves, focusing on the storm. Help us to turn our gaze upon you. Help us to remember that we are not God, but that you are, and that you will work all things together for good. Lord, help us to be faithful with our own pasture, with our own territory, within our own sphere of influence, the things that we can do something about, our relationships, our family, our church, our neighbors. And Lord, give us your peace and your comfort this morning that surpasses all understanding. And now give us the faith and the courage, Lord, to act on the things that you've called us to do so that we might be your faithful servants. It's in Christ's name that we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Before we partake in communion and, and join in the communion liturgy this morning, as we often do, we confess the Apostles' Creed, which is our historic confession of faith, and we join with Christians all over the world in this confession. Join me as we express our faith to God and to each other. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven, is seated at the right hand of the Father, and will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. We have the privilege of sharing in the Lord's Supper now. For those who didn't receive the communion packet on your way in and who would like to participate, who have committed to seek to follow and know Jesus, we have additional packets that the ushers could give to you if you'd raise your hand if you need one. And as those are being distributed, I'll, I'll share our call to communion. It's now our sacred privilege to celebrate the Lord's Supper. We remember the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, and we remember that our true citizenship is in His kingdom, a kingdom based on love and not in fear. Please join us in this prayer. Lord God, because Jesus has taught us to trust you in all things, 
we hold to his word and share his plea. Your, your kingdom, kingdom come, come, your will be done. Where nations budget for war, while Christ says, put down your sword. Your, your kingdom, kingdom come, your will be done. Where countries waste food and covet fashion, while Christ says, I was hungry, I was thirsty. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Where powerful governments claim their policies are heaven-blessed, while scripture states that God helps the powerless. Your, your kingdom, kingdom come, your will be done. Where Christians seek the kingdom in the shape of their own church, as if Christ had come to build and not break barriers. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Where women who speak up for their dignity are treated with scorn or contempt. Your, your kingdom, kingdom come, your, your will be done. Where men try to be tough because they are afraid to be tender. Your, your kingdom, kingdom come, your, your will be done. Where we, obsessed with being adults, forget to become like children. Your, your kingdom, kingdom come, your, your will be done. done. Where our prayers falter, our faith weakens, our light grows dim. Your, your kingdom, kingdom come, come, your will be done. Where Jesus Christ calls us. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Lord God, you have declared that your kingdom is among us. Open our ears to hear it, and our hands to serve it, and our hearts to hold it. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 